If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Old friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Welcome back to Fast Forward. I hope you've all had an amazing bank holiday weekend. Um, haven't had the best start to the day today. Uh, kicking off with eating my Weetabix with some sour off milk, which uh, really didn't. It wasn't the best start to the day, but it's got better throughout the throughout the morning. And we've got some really great guests for you this afternoon. Um, we've had a really interesting week last week at Tech Manchester, spending time with some of the startups here on campus, finding out a lot more about their businesses and how we can really sort of help accelerate their success. Um, but one of the standout points for me last week was uh, in our mentor training. It continues to surprise me how, how uh, interesting intellectual property is to these really established business people. Um, so as part of our, our, our training program, we bring in Ian Sterrett from the Intellectual Property Office. He'll come in and do a talk and really a thorough overview about the intangible assets and the value that that will bring to the startups and how those mentors can support them. And his talk ended up with 40 minutes of questions at the end. And uh, I think uh, could have sat on all evening talking about all the different aspects to intellectual property, trademarks, all that kind of thing. Uh, if that's of interest to you, uh, then please go back and check on our uh, our episodes. We've actually done one on intellectual property with Ian Sterrett, um, which will flesh out that topic for you in a bit more detail. But moving on to today. If you're a regular listener, you'll know we've done a few podcasts on funding and the types of funding. But what about that period before your company is investor ready? How do you make sure that your business is primed for funding? What about valuations and navigating that investment landscape? which, to be honest, let's face it, it's a complete minefield. We're going to cover all of that today. We're also going to discuss the elephant in the room, the issue around gender, and the look at the reasons why only one penny in every pound of startup investment ends up in the hands of female-only founders. I'm joined by two people that can lead us through this entire process. Jessica Jackson, Investment Director at GC Angels, which is based at the Growth Hub, and a female founder champion. And James Merriweather, part of the corporate finance team at KM Capital, the newly launched tech-focused early-stage venture capital fund <laughs> headed up by Adam Kamani, chief executive of the Kamani Property Group. Welcome both. Hi. Hi, nice to be here. Cheers. Thanks for having us. I'm delighted to get you both in today to talk about this really important topic. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, um, I'd like to start with just getting to know a bit about you both and your background. So Jessica, why don't we start with you? Tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. 
Um, so I started my career, as most people do, and just kind of fell into something by serendipity. So I started on a graduate scheme at a uh, health tech company that was based in Bolton. Um, and from there, ended up working with that founder for about seven years, um, setting up his family office and seed fund where we did some angel investments. Um, and I also had an operational role in his uh, tech businesses that were in health and energy either side of it. So I've got a bit of experience kind of knowing what it's like to be part of a tech business as well as um, investing into early stage social impact businesses. And then you moved on from there to where did you head after that? So, yeah, so then I moved to GC Angels, which is part of the growth company. Um, and GC Angels was created to address the the early stage equity gap in Greater Manchester. We've done 30 investment raises to date, um, raising over £20 million for businesses in the sectors that we talked about. Um, nine of those we've actually invested our own capital into. Nice. And James, what about you? I'm a chartered accountant by background, so I trained uh, with a company called CLB Coopers based on King Street in Manchester. Uh, I did a couple of different roles there, including working on the corporate finance team. So it was kind of like kind of a bit of M&A work, some due diligence, some financial modelling. Um, I qualified at the beginning of 2018, was introduced to a chap called Mahesh Patel, who runs the Kamani family office, uh, and ended up kind of moving to work for those guys, basically. So I'm, I'm, I met Mahesh and he kind of said, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're going we're gonna to go into the, this industry. We're going we're gonna to conquer the world here and there. And there's a few different business units that are operating out of our office, uh, including the Kamani Property Group, the Kamani Family Office, a new management and lettings business called Your Next Door, and then came Capital. Yeah, so I was introduced to Mahesh and he said, we want a kind of person with a background similar to yours. I think I was maybe third choice for the role, <laughs> Unfortunately, but you know, I, I could, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, so yeah, I I joined the fund just with a view to being the, uh, the 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 person kind of having these kind of early conversations with startups and mm. and kind of young founders who want to get funding for for their new business. Yeah, um, so I think we're kind of like a, a fund that will engage with the business kind of post angel funding and then just before your kind of VCs would would tend to get interested. So we're We've kind of positioned ourselves right in the middle of that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting. So we're up to about 17 different investments we've made to date. We like to say that we're tech focused. However, none of us have a tech background at all. So that's <laughs> a really broad term for us. Um, but the three guys that I work for have been with some really kind of high growth companies, Betfair, Zoopla, Boohoo. Um, so some really good success stories. And we feel that we can kind of use that to add a bit of value to these these entrepreneurs coming through now. So some really good credentials there. Hmm. So we'll start off with what probably sounds like a very obvious question, um, but I think it's something that's really important. Um, how, how vital is it for um, startups to have a handle on the economics landscape before they actually start trying to seek investment? So I think when it comes to sector, there's lots of things to sort of consider that doing your research can really help you. So, you know, depending on what sector you're in, there can be a lot of public sector funding which is available which is obviously a different to a conversation topic altogether when it comes to private so you know just to, to touch on what GC Angels focuses on in terms of its fund it's aligned with the local industrial strategy for the region so we're talking bioscience we're talking uh, advanced manufacturing and, and digital creative and technology although of course those are really really broad but you know just to pick on advanced manufacturing as, as one example if if you address that sector 
there can be various programs and government initiatives such as Made Smarter that you can tap into. Um, there's certain funding, grant funding that's available because you know the government has, has recognised that it's absolutely crucial that we invest and move towards this kind of industry 4.0 vision. So therefore, if you are able to sort of help um, the nation address that in some way, shape or form, then there may be public sector funding available, which is interesting when you consider how that acts as a de-risking strategy for private investors to get involved. If you've already managed to secure funding um, from various other sources and you you know you just need a, a smaller amount from private, it's an easier sell than than raising, for example, five million um, mm. for a, for a business that does whatever it, what it's doing without having shown any traction. For example, if you've been able to sell your idea and and you know secure grant funding, I think that's a lot stronger for a private investor to back. And you've just touched upon a couple of um, key points around uh, funds and available um, sort of capital opportunities in the sort of greater Manchester area. Can we explore that a bit further? I mean, what does the landscape in sort of the northwest look like um, for startups? What's available there for them? And how does that differ from other cities around the UK, London, for example? Yeah, because I think we were we were talking, we've talked about this a lot, um, especially off the back of, um, the UK BAA Connected Invested event, which was um, took place just over a week ago. Um, you know, Manchester's rapidly becoming, or already is, in fact, the UK's second city when it comes to, to capital. But in terms of maturity of market, it's still a very different space to London. Um, <clears throat> and, and even then, it's even further far removed from the US market. So, you know, if you're an early stage business and you're operating in, in tech, and you sort of start looking at all the unicorns that are coming out of Silicon Valley, and you're like, "Yeah, we're going to be the next. We're going to be the next unicorn. We're going to value ourselves at 17 billion. It, it just it doesn't work. It mm. just because it's it's just a completely different space. Investors in the UK like to see companies have revenue. It's not just about selling them on how great your idea is. Of course, that is a part of it. But have you been able to demonstrate any sort of traction at all? Um, and if you haven't, chances are you're not really going to engage a UK investor and even more so a, a greater Manchester or a northern investor. Mm. Um, you know, businesses tend to have a lot less steep valuations. Um, it, it's just a, a general rule of thumb that whilst it's good to look at businesses in your sector across the globe from a sort of potential market assessment perspective, it's probably not so wise to use that as a methodology to to create a valuation because, you know, international markets behave so differently. Yeah, you've got to look at the external factors. We've touched on some of those already, such as our favourite B word, Brexit. Yeah, that's what we <laughs> earlier. Um, yeah, I think James. in Manchester, like, my view is there's a lot, it seems to be a few organisations kind of cropping up to try and knit together, kind of uh, to try and build a bit of an ecosystem around tech and tech investment in Manchester. So... Again, like Jess mentioned, the event that the UK Business Angels have hosted a, mm-hmm. a set of four regional events. I haven't attended. I'll, I'll attend possibly one in the northeast. However, I would be surprised if any of the other three were within an advanced and ecosystem as Manchester. I think mm-hmm. you know, to include like Tech Manchester in that. There's there's a few different organisations. Manchester Science Park is another one um, that are trying to to build a bit of, a, of an ecosystem here. I think Manchester doesn't have the kind of obvious success stories that you get out of London, like your last minute.coms and just eats of this world that 
kind of then breed more success. The, the people who exit these businesses reinvest their, their funds into new startups. I think uh, that pe- goes back to the maturity point because yeah, there yeah, are those yeah, types definitely. of companies coming through now. But yeah, the, yeah, there, there are. It's that cyclical thing. Yeah, I definitely. mean, that's Silicon Valley started out of, you know, wasn't that uh, American defense money? initially and then it was when they matured and started reinvesting that it really yeah, mm. yeah for sure so i think organizations again like tech manchester that are here now maybe five or ten years time this will look completely different and it'll mm. be real mm. kind of mature um mm. kind of ecosystem in its own right i think once you get founders exit their businesses everything just gets recycled you get more accelerators you attract more vcs um, and everything kind of spirals from there so london is just still a long way ahead of anywhere else in the uk like by far yeah but i think as far as other cities outside of that, Manchester must be yeah. number one. Yeah, and, and even just down to the behaviour of um, an angel investor, so someone who has exited a business or has just made a lot of money and is still running their business in the northwest, you know, the, the Warburtons of the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, they behave in a very different way to your kind of Silicon Valley investor in that they are often quite reclusive like they're not necessarily willing to sort of come to the fore and say invest in the northwest or yeah there are a few out there but you know not on mass they're not they're not sort of willing to to come out of the woodwork Um, and that certainly applies when we when we talk about female investors as well you know it's kind of a different whole landscape when it comes to to risk and all that kind of thing so yeah um, I have to say when I we because I spoke at that um, UK Business Angels event and um, I was actually surprised at the number of angel syndicates that are in the Northwest more than I thought that there were. Um, so it was, I was pleasantly surprised about that. What would be your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think like there's a lot that obviously cover the North, but I think, you know, just to talk to touch on what we said about sector earlier, a lot of them will will play regionally, but they just they just won't have a presence here in insofar as an office or just any brand recognition. So just as an example, if you're talking about eco and green technology, um, low carbon, you know, the Green Angel Syndicate, for example, operate across the UK or work with businesses across the UK, but they're based in um, St Albans, I think. So, yeah, you know, it it's not about, they don't necessarily have to be based here to invest here, but it helps um so yeah that can be that can be quite tricky and you know i've started having conversations with businesses and saying you know whilst we not might be we might not be the right angel group for you there will be one or two Mm -hmm. out there that it's definitely worth speaking to just from a targeted feedback Mm. perspective just go out and find them and you know the uk baa website you can do that you can search by sector you can search by check size so there's going to be people out there you can approach. You just have to go and proactively look for them. So it's using the resources that are out there. So the UK Business Angels website's one useful um, yeah. database. What other ones are out there for startups to use? An actual database, I wouldn't know. Or, like UK BAA would be this, yeah. the, the, the place I'd go. Um, I think when I, as I mentioned earlier, I came into this from sort of general accountancy practice and I didn't realise there was such a, a big like landscape of startups and companies looking for investment and you've just got to just leave no stone unturned if you like and just yeah, just hit google linkedin yeah um just do do what you can to find out who's out there i think it points to like a, a wider point trish about like if, if you're surprised that there's angel mm. networks that you, you didn't know about i think if you're a startup founder and maybe it's your first time going out for fundraising it would be really really difficult and i think you've got to put in a, a hell of a lot of kind of homework and research into yeah. into who's actually out there and it'll be it's it's kind of an opaque industry if you like people 
don't kind of outwardly advertise what they're doing. People kind of share investment opportunities with one another um, on the sort of mm. sort of angel yeah. investing like VC side. A lot of a lot of deals are kind of shared internally between groups who already know each other. So it's quite hard to tap into that. I think yeah. for for founders. Yeah. But it's how do we how do we shorten that down? Because that yeah. sounds like an awful lot of work work and energy that they're spending mm. on chasing funding instead of actually developing their business and yeah. chasing customers, which ultimately is what the investors need. So. How do we break that vicious yeah. cycle? I know the British Business Bank are launching a new, um, a new hub, uh, a new funding hub on their uh, on their website that, that Sue Barnard mentioned mm-hmm. at the same event. Um, so hopefully we'll see that evolve and we'll be able to short circuit that process for startups and allow them to get to that information sooner and help accelerate their investment strategies. Um, so let's move on to um, the businesses themselves. When is it right for them to start seeking out? Um, seed funding mm-hmm. or Series A or or that place in between, uh, mm. James, yeah. that you guys specialize in, um, and how do they get there then when when they decide when they decide that? So, I, th- I, I think inviting funded in to your external funded into your business in the first place it probably isn't for everyone. I think there'll be tons of business. Like my view is painted by the fact that I only speak to businesses who are out out raising funding. So I don't know how many aren't, how many are just kind of building up organically but i suppose yeah. it's the pace of growth is obviously helped like one of your limiting factors your growth will be kind of access to access to capital so i think like agencies people who are building agencies that's a great example of you know just build it yourself yeah. build it organically you don't mm-hmm. need investment to do that that's mm-hmm. about building your customer base out and delivering services you know that's mm-hmm. not a product driven yeah, yeah. Uh, Pre- business but precisely. still digital mm-hmm. yeah I think I think when you're if you're mapping out your business 18 months in advance or maybe 6 to 12 months in advance you'll know that at some point, you're going to hit. You're going to hit a point when you need finance, and I guess whenever that point is, you need to be out there talking to investors six months prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it, dep- it 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 does depend like the market you're in, what kind of traction you've got, which type of customers you're trying to attract, how much R and D you need to do. There's loads of different factors that will dictate kind of how much money you need. And I guess, say mm-hmm. for example, you're a really R and D heavy business. I'm sure there's kind of specific grant funding out there that you yeah. can apply to and if you if you maybe brand build and you're, you're a b2c business then it might be kind of more angel investing slash venture capital that you go and look for yeah and i think it's a balance of raising enough runway so that you're not you know you're not getting the money in the bank and it, you know it, it is a lengthy process i often say to founders prepare yourself for six months yeah. and then build in a buffer and and they look at me with surprise and i say i'm i'm, I'm doing you a favor yeah. Because you need to get yourself up for this. You know, it's going to be a road filled with, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Pock marks. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, there's going to be yeah, loads yeah. of things that trip you up. There'll be investors who say they're interested and then you'll never get any email response back from them. Mm-hmm. There'll be people who negotiate more equity at the last minute and you have to say no, but you have to give yourself the luxury of doing that because mm-hmm. you've got to protect your business as well. And, you know, you can't give away too much equity because you need to make sure that you are going to incentivize yourself in the long run. But then at the same time, you know, you need to build in that buffer. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things I read this morning while I was sort of thinking about what the key things I wanted to get across today was think about milestones, not survival. So whilst you might get some funding and it, it, yeah, it's going to last me for 18 months before I need to raise again. Yeah, that might be true, but okay, an investor's not just bankrolling you. They want to see growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So don't just think about, yes, this this money will make sure my business runs for 18 months. 
but it will grow my business to a certain point. And, you know, you need to, yeah. you need to think about that. Yeah, carefully. you need to hit those growth milestones before you raise, you can successfully raise again. I think it'll be really hard to keep up with those milestones as well when you're in kind of fundraising mode. I think a mistake to make is not realizing how like all-consuming fundraising can be. Like, yeah. You need to kind of, where possible, try to clear as much off your desk if you're the person in charge of fundraising within Leading your business. That. To like, you need to think this is going to take double the amount of time I initially thought. This is going to take so much of my effort. This is like part. This yeah. is almost yeah. like my. You need fault. to speak to twice the amount of people. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's yeah. just like it's. Think of it like a sales funnel. If you approach a hundred customers, you might end up selling to five of them, and people drop off. Yeah. Down the funnel, it's no different from mm-hmm. investors. It's kind of a, almost a sales pitch, and it's going to take. It, it'll probably take more of your time in terms of like percentage of your day plus yeah. it'll take double the, the amount of months you thought it yeah, would to, to get funded anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we had uh, Sam and Steve from cool. TickX and mm-hmm. we had a really interesting chat and they, they said something that actually we'd heard from quite a few founders who we've had in the chair talking about their kind of story um, about the number of pitches that you need to, yeah. to make and um, like they, I would say they, they would have done like a hundred pitches before they actually mm-hmm. settled on investment, but they did actually turn some down along yeah. the way and they look back with uh, cringe at some of the pitches that they did in yeah. the early stages and mm-hmm. they, they felt that that was kind of their learning process in terms mm-hmm. of getting that um, right. Um, but you will, we're kind of floating into a bit of an area about sort of maybe some of the mistakes that um, startups um, have made. And Jess, you've just ta- touched on one there just about in terms of how much equity that they should be giving away. And that is such a big question. I hear that all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> how, well, how much should I give away? It's like, well, how much are you trying to raise? What are you trying to do with it? You know, it's like, there's so it's it's not a simple question, is mm-hmm. it? Is no. there any formulas <clears throat> that they should be working to you? Or short answer is no. So the, <laughs> a simple question does no one not has the answer warrant to that a simple question. answer. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you've got this idea and if you can go into a, B- a VC and bullshit your way into saying that my idea is going to be the best and here's the growth potential and they buy it great but based on evaluation but that doesn't mean that it can't change later on so you know there are businesses that we see now that you know we're actively raising for that had overinflated valuations for the the stage in their business and, you know there are rules of thumbs but of course there's always a lower end of the limit and an upper end, and but there will always be exceptions that prove the rule. It's another isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, and they overinflated their valuation, so when investors come on board later, they're gonna they're not thinking they're getting a good deal for the money that they're putting in and the stage that the business is at. So so over getting a higher valuation, then perhaps it might be worth it at that time. It's not necessarily yeah. so we've a good seen thing. renegotiations backwards. Right. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, and, you, you know, you do have to make sure that existing investors who hold a stake are happy with that but it, it happens and it's just because they've they've tried to sort of assume a linear pipeline and, yeah. and it's not that simple because is that a common misunderstanding that startups think that they need to get probably. the highest possible value from the get-go i guess because they did naturally you don't want to give up you don't want to give your kind of part of yeah. your business which is like your baby you don't want to give too much away but i think investors like to feel like they're winning so if you if you go out with a too high valuation now 18 months time, you've not given yourself a lot of wriggle room to raise to a, a high valuation because mm-hmm. your investors looking at it thinking, well, maybe you're raising it 5 million now. In 18 months, if you're raising it 6 million, it's, you've not moved on. If, if you can only manage to raise it 6 million the next time, then you've not kind of gone up enough. So that me as an investor thinks I'm, I'm kind of 
on the right path. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's like a really difficult thing to do. I think there's a load, you need to do tons of benchmarking. There's, again, like we talked about different databases and platforms, there's places like Crowdcube, Cedars, um, all the kind of angel investment. Yeah, Crunchbase uh, is great yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, which can kind of find a business maybe similar to yours, similar age, maybe doing something Same similar. Same country, ideally. And try to, yeah, yeah, and try to kind of benchmark against ones like that. There's also tons of articles out there on how to, um, set your valuation appropriately. People like Seed Legals do a lot of research into this. Yeah, that's what I was reading this morning. So yeah. they, have a, they have some great infographics that condense it. And it was, you know, for a seed round, you're looking at 10 to 20%. Yeah. So you, therefore, like yeah. reverse engineer your valuation if you want to raise 500K. Yeah. Work it back and figure out your valuation from that. Yeah. So it's a chicken and egg. Uh, is it the valuation mm. or the money that you want to raise and the equity you want to give away? What comes first? I think it's you need to start with what you what you need to raise because ultimately the, that's not going to shift too much because you know the price of your staff isn't going to change the mm -hmm. price of the oh your overheads isn't going to change obviously you can scale it up and down but the the units more or less aren't going to shift so you need to know how much you need to give yourself the runway that we talked about mm -hmm. and also the the space to breathe if things go wrong you do need to sort of think about contingencies and and what's going to also allow you to grow. So it's not just getting you from one point in the calendar to another point in the calendar and your valuation is a linear growth of capital that goes in. You know, if you've got capital constantly going in, but you're not growing your user base, your turnover's not improving, you're not going to get those kind of... There's another way of valuing the your business, which is multiples. And that can explain be Explain that. On. <laughs> so it's basically... Pause, explain that. <laughs> so multiples, so depending on your industry, it could be anything from times four to times 24 and it can be based on your turnover or based on the number of customers you've gotten and, and it can vary from vc to vc mm -hmm. like what method they choose to use because obviously if you're a b2c tool ultimately the thing that is of value is users because of marketable mm -hmm. audience essentially that's kind of what it falls down to or average lifetime order value or basket size and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. And it's some, to some degree, it can make the maths a bit easier. But if you're in a sort of more ethereal space where you can't sort of pin it down, it, it's difficult to to attribute that to, to something as arbitrary as a user. So you might need to think about what your turnover is or your EBIT. It can it varies from yeah. VC to VC or and investor to investor, and they'll have the reasons why they look at one thing versus another. Mm. So, I think once you probably get to the bigger VCs, once you're past kind of talking to, to, to you or I, I guess, mm -hmm. they then start to use metrics because you can take a little bit more confidence in a projection that someone's given you. I, I, yeah. I never like it when people kind of come to us and kind of say, you know, we've set a valuation based on a multiple of this, which is in our forecast, because I think you'd have to take like forecasts with such a pinch of salt at an early stage, like it's it's out of date or it's gone one way yeah. or the other within three months. It's like, like a business plan. Yeah, you know, it's, it's out of date as soon as you write. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it kind of switches me off a little bit when people try to use kind of a any sort of like metrics based. Um, from like the founders. Yeah, yeah, from the founders. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have 5 million customers. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that sounds, um, that, sound, that all makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what other mistakes have you seen startups making, you know, before they, you know, when they're trying to attract funding before they're actually, before they're ready? I've got mm -hmm. one sort of thing that jumps to mind. I love horror stories, of, by the way. I know, <laughs> sifting through your Rolodex of recent meetings. You, but... you jumped on that one like really quickly. I, oh, I, I, had I, 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 I quite want to hear, no, hear this story. <laughs> so I had some founders come to me and they said, um, 
yeah, I want to raise five million. And, you know, James will know this. You get so many meeting requests that are for fundraising. So you often only get like a hurried five minutes to sit to sort of mm-hmm. scan through the pitch deck mm-hmm. um, before you meet in, obviously. And in an ideal world, you'd love to be completely familiar with that model before you go into a meeting. But it's just it's not a reality. So be prepared for that founders um <laughs> so I, I go into this meeting and they say we want five million and we don't have any customers we don't have a premises yet we don't have any investors and we've sort of had that conversation here or there about people signing up as customers but it's ridiculous they, they won't sign up with us unless we've um we've got premises i mean how ridiculous is that and i'm kind of like is it so I had to sort of say, well, you know, you can't ask for all of that in one go because it's far too risky. You need to sort of cut that pizza into slices and try and get someone to buy one slice. Yeah. Um. And and sort of I had to talk them through. And, and these are people who've been do, in their industry for years and years and years. And I had to say, look, you're going to need to tranche this funding. So you need people to come on board with a smaller chunk of the risk. Of course, conceptually, it's still just as risky, but... It's all a marketing game, really. Is that I need instead of five million, I need two hundred and fifty grand, but that's going to get me to this milestone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'm going to need to come back, and then I'm going to need seven fifty because it's going to need to do me the, to this milestone. But it, it creates a journey. Yeah, and you need people to come on board with it. But it, it is important to know as well that an angel that you might get to invest in you at the first point when you've just got this idea. They might not have the sort of the checkbook size to follow you all the way to the end. So you have to prepare yourself to to lose people along the way, not necessarily for bad reasons, but that you're going to have to go out and find different people to bring with you on your journey. But at a later point, and yeah. it's, it's like mapping out who's going to be getting on the train and who's going to be getting off at the different stops. Yeah. And, and it's about managing that as well, you know, yeah. off, off lo- offboarding people from your cap table as well as onboarding them is just as important. Um, when is that? Um, when are, when are those are the types of conversations that you should have, James? You know, I, I presume that you would get across your table, you know, fairly detailed, you know, quite messy cap tables with lots of little pots of money that have been invested yeah. here, there, and everywhere. So you might have, you know, two or three angels. Mm-hmm. Somebody's, you know, uncle might have put in some money. They might have gifted some, you know, equity away to people who came on board and, and be, like helped out with the business. Mm. So it ends up like a bit of a messy yeah. uh, cap table and the cap table just to explain um, what that is to the to the listeners. Uh, what well, your cap table just yeah. kind of like the composition, the the composition of who owns your business owns basically. What? So it's effectively a, a, a list in percentage terms or a number of shares of who who owns your business. So usually mm. your founder, your founding team, is the biggest uh, the biggest kind of name on that table, and then you'll mm. have come you'll have gone through kind of your family and friends round, your angel round, maybe a second angel round, and then maybe some some VCs will, will, mm-hmm. will start coming in. I think it's a difficult one. I think if you're a really early stage business, like the likes of which that we speak to, that most of the rounds that we're involved in is syndicated, so you'll have maybe four or five, six different investors funding the same mm-hmm. round. And I think as often as you can, and I, I guess sometimes you just need to, you need to raise money from whoever you can get it from. But yeah. If in an ideal world, you'd make sure that their interests were quite aligned. So we invest in businesses and we're just happy to just kind of take whatever ride the, the founder goes on effectively. Mm-hmm. We're not kind of setting out to double our money or triple our money. You might get an angel investor who has exited a previous business. They they want to help bring somebody else through. Maybe there's two or three different businesses they've invested in. In terms of like financial return, they might be happy just 
doubling their money or yeah. something like that. However, it, you wouldn't want to do a fundraise where you had half of it made up of people like that and half of it from VCs who want you to increase their investment by 500, 1,000 yeah. times. So um, how do you manage that process and who, who manages it? I think you'd need to decide what you want to do with your business. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to kind of... People sometimes refer to them as lifestyle businesses, which is going to do really well for you um, and just grow maybe a little a little slower than it could or kind of keep you in a bit more control then you yeah. maybe want those who maybe want to add a bit of value to you sit on your board maybe if if they double their money then great um however you need to decide that yourself like do you do you want to kind of really really rocket your business are you willing to put in the kind of 18 hour days that you're gonna mm-hmm. have to um yeah. and then kind of piece the round together from that yeah, and I mean, we had a specific panel that on this at the UKBA event, didn't we? And, um, you know, it was it was all about getting comfortable with what it is that you want as founders. So, you know, is one of you, if, if you're lucky enough for there to be more than one of you running the business, you know, is one of you technical focused, one of you sales focused? And do you have a gap in that knowledge between the two of you that perhaps you could address by bringing on board smart capital so you might hear that that term bandied around and that just literally means it's not someone who's just going to write a check and and leave you to it you know although some people might think that's ideal but actually some people wouldn't they actually want someone to come in with maybe a wealth of contacts in in an industry that they want to sell into um or Mm -hmm. i don't know experience doing management buyouts and because that's what they've got in their sites for the next five years or you know something like that so it's what how involved would you want an investor to be and what would you want them to bring to the table and just consider that carefully in the makeup of your round. Um, you know, and it, there's a founder recently who I've been working with who had to say no to someone because they turned around at the last second to ask for more equity. I mean, that's a massive, massive bummer when you've kind of got to that point in the process, yeah. but hands down it was the right decision um, because who knows what that person might, be saying to them when they're sending around management accounts for example they might you know have completely misaligned views on Mm -hmm. growth as james was just touching on and you know you do hear from businesses who have horror stories of working with vcs so that you know there's a social impact business that i've worked with for a number of years and they did a vc round and they it took them three months longer to close it Mm -hmm. and in the first board meeting they said why are your forecasts three months behind? And the founder was sat there going, are you absolutely joking me? Like, of course, the three months behind because the money was three months late in the bank, so we couldn't mm-hmm. yeah. start the... Like, the fact that you have to have that conversation obviously yeah. sounds absolutely ludicrous, but <clears throat> there are just as many other stories of, you know, that capital yeah. doing really well, and it's just a case of making sure you're absolutely comfortable with what people are expecting from mm-hmm. you. Yeah and your business when you take that money. Yeah, because it becomes toxic then, doesn't it? And ho- hopefully through the process of actually raising funds. I mean, you don't, you never, you'd re- you won't get investment kind of off a first meeting and it's a bit of a process of you getting to know one another. And I think we like to make sure that we kind of, I don't know, like for lack of a better phrase, just just get on well with the founders. Like yeah. we, we kind of like each other. We we can see ourselves working together. I mean, and we'd never kind of turn around to some, a business we'd invested in and say, you know, why is this out of date or why have you not done this? It's kind of a more of a collaborative approach. Mm. Um, I would I would hope kind of through the process of talking to these investors that you'd kind of get the feel as to how they're going to behave yeah. once they had invested. Maybe. So like a best case scenario is that six months that you said earlier with a bit of a with a bit of a buffer. 
Yeah. I mean, like, you know, our approach that, that our fund takes, we've, you know, we've um, we've done uh, nine deals with, with our co-fund. Um, and, we, you know, we don't take, um, we might write it in the terms, for example, but we don't actually take a board seat in terms of we won't sit there every month mm. and be banging our fist on the table. Mm. But at the same time, we want to know where we can add value. Um, so we've just completed a deal in a business and in the board meeting we sat there and said, well, it was just a summary really of all the conversations that we'd already been having about ways we can introduce them to new sales pipeline opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're already talking about the next funding raise and we've had that exact conversation about what kind of mm -hmm. person can they bring to the board. And it just so happens, I think I know somebody, so I've already, yeah. I already called them and it's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. hopefully we can facilitate meetings and something magical happens. And if it doesn't happen, then then fine. But, you know, this is what we're here for. Yeah. We want to see the business do well. I think um, that's, and that's one thing that all investors and founders are aligned on. Everybody yeah. wants uh, to, for it to succeed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, we're going to move on now to the elephant because <laughs> um, uh, I know Jess is something you're very passionate about and James I know that you and I have discussed this mm -hmm. as well um, but there's the UK Business Angels report recently uh, reported that one penny in every pound goes to female uh, solo funders yeah. 10p in the pound goes to blended uh, gender founder uh, uh, startups mm -hmm. and uh, the remainder goes to all male teams um, but it, it makes no sense because the numbers demonstrate that um you know mixed mixed teams more diverse teams are much more successful and there's loads of statistics um yeah. you know in terms of higher percentage returns more productivity etc um let's can we talk about that and um sort of why why it needs to change yeah uh, who wants to go first on this jess yeah so um so when i joined the team six months ago um, I sort of started to sort of look around. I mean, I was the first woman to join the investment team and, and I, you know, I'd realised already having done seed rounds and worked with VCs and various kind of angel investors that it's a majority male world. Mm -hmm. um, not, not necessarily a surprise there, but there were just so many different challenges and barriers that actually face you on both sides of that kind of board table, if you will. So not only just the founders themselves, but actually the sources of capital, whether they be actual private investors who have their own wealth or women in board positions and decision making positions in VC firms and, and private equity firms. So I don't even know where to kind of begin, really. But I mean, I'll speak to my own experience in that just as as joining an investment team as a woman it's kind of created that precedent and safe space for women to approach me and say I'm looking for funding but I, I don't know what to do and and you know the anecdotes that you hear mm -hmm. you th you wonder what century we are in um in that you know th there's just so many credible people out there that are running their own tech businesses a lot of them are women you know it's it's nothing knew there you know women have been found in businesses for, for decades and beyond that but the the track record of funding when I went down to London for the launch of that report was just absolutely astounding and, and you know and just to highlight those statistics came from VCs that were willing to take part in the survey yeah so it almost sort of sets a precedent for they were maybe the more progressive ones or the ones willing to have a discussion sure. or yeah. willing to share 
So the reality might be even worse, which is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and you start to dig into that and you read about, you know, the instances of, of a warm introduction versus a cold introduction. So mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you just may be emailing a blanket, emailing your pitch deck out to VC firms with the hope that you'll be invited in to, to pitch and meet the advisory committee or the, the investment committee versus someone, you knowing someone who works at that firm or knowing someone who has done a deal with that firm and being given that intro of, I'm speaking with this company about their funding raise and they're a really great founder. And and just, you know, women's networks, you know, are so vital to to building that that ecosystem of the warm referral, but they're not the same as a man's network. And I think that you've just touched on something that's really important. It's that different approach. Like I, I just wonder how many female founders would blanket emails send out their pitch deck to yeah. you know, a mailing list of 500 mm. VCs in early stage. Like, how many do you get through your door like that from female founders, James, so I think, for example? Uh, I like, think do they do that? Of... I don't think they do. I don't, mm. I don't think female well, founders do I that. I don't know, actually. Like, we get a bit of a mix. Like, most yeah. businesses we speak to are, or who are kind of in our CRM are from yeah. uh, referrals, but there's some that we see out at events and there's some that kind of approach us directly. I know that within our whole, because I, I track kind of who we spoke to and say, the last time I had to do a report for this, it, I think there was maybe about 330 businesses in there. And I think it was 16% who were kind of sort of female-led and by that, I mean like mm. a female CEO. Yeah. Um, and I think it was about 16 17% of the whole like bank yeah. mm. uh, had come from kind of female founders. I don't really know why that is. I wouldn't say there's any difference between like male and females approaching us directly. I'd probably say, if anything, we get... we We're probably skewed by the fact that the the head of our fund adam kamani his clothing brands are, are targeted mm. to the sort of youngish sort of female demographic so yeah in terms of direct approaches we probably are i, I, I don't, I don't, think, we're more, t- I don't yeah. think we'd be typical in terms of uh the approaches that we get yeah. because of adam's profile i think we'd probably get more female founders coming to us directly yeah i said that but the predominant you know, the if I if I think about the female founders who I've ever spoken with recently or have applied, the, the, a lot of them are actually in fashion space. So, yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. But you know, there are tech businesses that are emerging with female founders, and I think it's a difficult one to talk to because at the moment it, it's very anecdotal. Like, I don't think yeah. we've really got to this kind of granular level of, of data. Yeah. In terms of methodology of approach, I mean, what we can talk to is how men and women are just completely different in terms of risk. It's not about mm. risk-taking, it's risk awareness. And the the Rose Review of, of um, Female Entrepreneurship, which was launched a month after um, the UK Business Angel Female VC report, um, you know, spoke to that. Um, you know, and it, it it's just difficult to to know at, at this point, but, you know, it, it just says that, Women's networks are really important. That's so you know building building comfort, safe spaces, and having having a warm approach and all that kind of thing. But th- there's no, there's no kind of granular data about mm-hmm. different methodologies of approaches and their relative successes and and things like that. So it, it's tricky to sort of get into it. But you c- you can only really talk to your experience and you know the women that I speak to who've done pitch events and. You just think that's just not professional. Like there is a very poor 
demonstration of professionalism at some of these events. Mm. And it, it just makes my heart bleed because mm. we should not be in, in that situation. We shouldn't have to leave a pitch event or a boardroom having pitched our business idea and then be over here statements like, nice ass mm. or something. Or yeah. like, when are you yeah. going to have kids? I don't. You might have even told me that story, Jess, of someone who did, was yeah. kind of said, like, how are you going to balance out running your startup with having a baby? That kind of thing. And it's like... Yeah, would you ask that yeah. off Does anyone ask you that as a father of a 10-month-old? Yeah, that? Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier the difference between Manchester and London in terms of investment. It might be the same with males and females. There have been all the kind of billion-dollar businesses, all the all the kind of like the Ubers and Facebooks of this world are all like male-run and consciously or subconsciously, like whether you like it or not, that plays a role in kind of painting people's view of what good looks like. Yeah. So if you're a female founder, there's no one who subconsciously VC is looking at and thinking you could be the next whoever. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you've read Bad Blood, they'll come out of Theranos, it was a blood testing company in America and there's a lady, I think she, Elizabeth Holmes was her name and she was like the next Steve Jobs. She was, they raised like a ton of money. It was like billions and billions. She was on like the cover of Forbes, like all these magazines and it turns out it was... Oh, um, it was the scandal. It was a scandal, yeah, the whole thing yeah. was a fake. It was a really interesting book actually. Um, but uh, there just hasn't, there hasn't been a, a high profile female CEO and I think that probably paints what people view as mm. a credible a credible founder. That's yeah. where bias comes in, isn't yeah. it? You know, the data, which is historical data, but if you look at all historical data, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Um, it's dominated by men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hence why Amazon had to abandon its AI project recruitment tool because yeah. it fed all its 10-year data mm -hmm. and it learned that woman meant bad and man meant good. So it mm -hmm. eliminated, didn't matter, <laughs> CVs mm -hmm. that were female. Yeah, I mean, we, we see examples of that all the time. And I mean, if we look at the US market, is like, oh, this is the model that we're, we're aiming for. Well, we shouldn't be looking at them because their parental leave policies mm -hmm. are virtually non-existent. So what precedent is that setting as well? So yeah. although we've got a million miles to go, we're still better than, we've than got, that. And Yeah, we've got know. opportunities to change our, our path. Um, mm -hmm. Let's move on to the performance then, you know, in terms of why people, other than, you know, this isn't about, you know, we should invest more in um, female founders because it's the right thing to do. But commercially, it makes sense. Can we talk about why um, what those performance statistics look like and why investors who maybe haven't been uh, investing very much into female founded or female uh, co-founded businesses should maybe have another look at those types of businesses? Yeah. So I think it was the KPM. It was a KPMG report which analysed um, like performance of. I don't know if it was specifically fintech but they looked at the performance in terms of how they've grown the revenue. So, you know, it is important to stipulate that they're not saying all of these businesses have now exited. It's just looking at the precedent set by performance statistics post-investment. Post um, and, you know, the, the female-led or the diverse teams were delivering at least 2.5-fold, you know, progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as I said to a few people I've been speaking to recently, it's not like it's been a report that's been written by an, a non-credible source. You know, these are reports coming from KPMG. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that kind of report as well, that sort of conclusion is more and more accepted, like it, to the point that I don't even think it's disputed anymore. Yeah. I don't know if that's just because that's the sort of press mm -hmm. I read, but I, I don't think that's disputed anymore. Like everybody knows that that's just, yeah. that that is the case. Like it's not in dispute that a kind of balanced border of company outperforms others yeah so it's kind of for me it's just not black and white anymore but mm. of course 
if if it wasn't black and white for everybody else, then we would be seeing more investment. So is it is it going back to this? We're just we're trying to overcome unconscious biases. Mm. So the fact that an investor does is it the case that an investor doesn't take a pitch deck from a female founder seriously? We don't know, and I don't think we'd ever get data on that. Um, is it? Do we need to introduce a way of? Talk, how can we talk about it to to get it proactively on the agenda? So, I think you know the outcome of some of these reports, the Rose Review, just mm. to mention that again, was that the banking system or the finance system as a whole needs to come up with sort of a kite mark, and that is that VCs need to lead the way in saying they will adopt certain practices. So, starting with representation on their own board and decision-making panels. Yeah, because unconscious bias can work in that favour. I think we've there's a lot of work around female leadership. It's like how to get more female leaders into leadership roles is to make sure that you have more female leaders because you will organically ha- hire you know people like you, so you will probably end up hiring more female um, leaders as a female leader than mm-hmm. you would, you know, at, which is why we're in this situation with um, sort of the split that we have. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, it's having more female at a top level in VCs mm-hmm. who will then or, organically then invest in more female-founded Yeah, and, businesses. you know, they, they there's been data that shows that women are more likely to invest in women. So mm. that's how we will, I hope, we would start to see a shift in, in, in the right direction. But also how can VCs as sort of formal institutions adopt better practices and to try and eliminate unconscious biases whether whether it's some some way of incorporating ai or technology into screening decks and you know you look at emerging fintech sort of things like the autopilot or capital pilots Mm -hmm. new technology which will do the some sort of automated due diligence in the background you know how if you're just presented with the very base performance statistics of a business or the risk assessment of a business yeah those should be the things informing your decision but obviously with early stage businesses so much importance and so much weight quite rightly is placed on the founders yeah because there is not that much else to look at in an early stage business so how can we perhaps adopt practices which help with the screening of of it that first that initial stage and then hopefully what we'll start to see is more people getting into the room to do the pitch in the first place and yeah that's some hurdles to to cross but like the voice we'll have the voice for investment they don't get to see them they have to hit the button yeah you have to do it through a darth vader voice synthesizer (laughs) (laughs) so everyone sounds the same yeah Yeah. can we set that up (laughs) it'd be great wouldn't it yeah we can do that we'll do a thought experiment Um, listen, I think it's it's such an important topic and I think uh, it's one that you could um, talk all day about, but I think it's absolutely clear there's there's money to be made, there's opportunities to be had, there's female-driven um, business ideas, which maybe um, that could be missed um, if there isn't a, sort of a mixed view in, in the room. So those things all have to be sort of at the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, to wrap up then, um, we always love a little top tip um, for our listeners, um, particularly the, the startups who'll be listening, who'll be feverishly writing down everything that you've said today. Um, what would be your, your sort of best sort of pieces of advice for founders here um, preparing for their investment? I think just don't, don't take it lightly. Just engage with the fact that it's going to take, it's going to be pretty much your full-time job fundraising. If that's the route you want to go down, give it the attention it deserves. It's not kind of something that you can do on the side while you yeah. can continue. 
hitting those like natural milestones we discussed before. I think there are tons. There's no excuse to have not done enough research, I don't think, because I've done it myself. There's, Ignorance there's, is no excuse. Yeah, exactly. There's tons and tons of articles out there, mm-hmm. um, little start points. Places like Crowdcube have guides on there. Jam Jar Investments is a really good one. They they invest in consumer brands, but there's loads of just genuine like tips for, for founders on who to look to and which accelerators to look at and stuff like that. So there's there's absolutely and Seed Legals is another one. There's just tons of stuff online. There's there's like as you said, like ignorance is, is no excuse. Just understand that it's going to take a, a load of your time more than you think to raise money, uh, and there's loads of resources out there to to get you ready for it. Nice, Jess. Yeah, I would say I would have a number of things. I would say um, ensure that you have. A, a network of people around mm-hmm. you who are both your critics and your cheerleaders because they're both important you know especially as well if you are a female founder make sure you've got a mentor and i know that um you know northern power women podcast talks about that a lot so if you know i definitely have yourself a mentor i would repeat what i said earlier which is focus on your milestones and not your survival when you're funding if survival is an issue then maybe a different kind of funding is is needed and you need to think about it differently. But, you know, for angels and, and growth, then equity capital is the right thing. But if it's, I need to just get through to this point, then you need to maybe look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed speaking to both of you and getting your different perspectives on um, this this kind of sort of earlier stage investment piece that is so vital for, for people that are starting out their businesses. Um, for the listeners, um, we hope that has helped um, give a bit more clarity around the investment landscape and um, some of the things that you need to do. Uh, it still sounds like it's um, the you need to put the, the time in, put the effort mm-hmm. in and learn as much as you can along the way. And that will set you up for a greater likelihood of success. Um, so um, but for now, we hope that gives you um, a better night's sleep. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.